Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning and welcome to Journey Church today. It's wonderful to be able to welcome you. Special thanks to the uh, to our Journey Band. They do such an awesome job of leading us and uh, really helps in the bringing of God's Word uh, after our time of worship. And Really loved uh, Lael and the Mandolin today. I don't know. That's just pretty cool. So we need to bring that. We need to have that more. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty awesome. Well, today we are back in our series of messages called In Game. In fact, today is our last in this series. I told First Service that it wasn't going to be our last, but I apparently lied to them and deceived them. Uh, I feel bad for that. It's gonna be our last message in the series. Um, if you want to know more and you wanna be in tune more, um, tune in to either in person or online uh, to our afternoon Bible studies on Sunday, Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m. Uh, we're getting back into that this week, and that will be where we will be covering all of the end times things. So. If you want to stay engaged in that, make sure you turn into that. So today, though, we are going to wrap up this series that we started last fall. Now, we have, we've been away from it for about four weeks uh, because of the Easter, uh, Easter time. We focused in on that for three weeks. Uh, but today, we are going to wrap it up with the final thing that Jesus says. So today, we are going to look at the final message. And the title of the message is, The King at the End of All Things. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you and we are grateful to you that we can call ourselves your children. Lord, that as Pastor Stephen was praying, yes, we are going to go through hard times. Uh, this world is, is messed up right now and it's going to get worse. Yet we can take, take courage and encouragement in our hearts. We can trust in who you are, Lord. We can, we can look forward with confidence to your return. And so, Lord, help us to be crying out in our hearts, Lord, Lord, please return. Come now. Lord, you stood, uh, you, you stood on the Mount of Olives with your disciples, and then you ascended into heaven. And then the angel standing there told those who were gathered that you would come back the same way that you left. In the Old Testament, Lord, there are so many prophecies given about your return. And in fact, you talked about it. Yourself, You talked about coming back. And so, Lord, we look forward to that day. I pray, Lord, that we would be about your business until that time comes. That as things do get difficult and do get hard and challenging, that we would be trusting you, that we would be looking to you, and that you would help us. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do among us here today. Teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Show us your truth, Lord, and help us to walk in your walk in your grace. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, one last time, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. What we have been doing in this series is only looking at Jesus's words. There are multiple timelines that are given 
in the Bible when it comes to the end times events. There are the things that Jesus said. That really is his word to the disciples, his word to his followers. He lays out the timeline of the events that will happen, and he absolutely focuses in on those final seven years, those years of tribulation. He really zeroes in on the final three and a half years, but those entire seven years. So the timeline that Jesus gives is to his followers. We have a timeline in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel's timeline is the rise of the Antichrist and the rise of the Antichrist kingdom, the beastly empire that will come against uh, the nation of Israel, and that's what Daniel looks at. Revelation looks at the church age and what will happen at the end of the church age. There's another timeline that happens uh, both in uh, the book of Ezekiel and the book of Isaiah. Uh, that talks about um, that talks about really Jerusalem and Israel in particular, uh, or Jerusalem in particular, talks about Israel and the rebirth of the nation of Israel. And that's another timeline. If you take all of those timelines, you combine them all, you begin to have a complete picture of what the end times events are going to be. And so that's why I would encourage you to tune into our Sunday afternoons to understand what all of these events say and how we can get a pretty complete picture of what's going to happen at the end. Today, though, we will wrap it up with the words of Jesus. And I want to give, again, the recap that we have been going through one final time and look at some world events, and then we'll get into Jesus's final message in Matthew chapter 25 in his final teaching, and that's in verses 31 through 46. Now, it all started with a question. Jesus was in the temple, he was, he was confronting the Pharisees in the temple, and he makes a prophetic statement. As he is making this prophetic statement, the disciples most likely were looking at one another, wondering about what Jesus had just said. They're trying to understand, did he just say what we think he said? He was referring to the book of Daniel. Jesus walked with his disciples to the Mount of Olives. It would have been a short walk, about 20 minutes. He sat down on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came up to Jesus because they really wanted to understand what Jesus was just talking about in the temple. They came to Jesus and they said to Jesus these words, or it says about him these words. It says, uh, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, uh, the disciples came to him privately saying and asking him really three questions. The three questions that we've been wrestling with with the entire study, the three questions that we need to know. The questions were these. Tell us, when will these things happen? So the first question is when. When is this gonna happen? Second question was, what will be the sign of your coming? So when, what, and then what will be the sign of the end of the age? So when, what, and what? Jesus, we need to understand. What should we be looking for? When are you going to be coming? What is the signs that we will see? What are the events that are going to take place? How will we know when we are there? Now, that's the question that we have. Jesus, when are you going to return? What should we be looking for? Can we see anything in the world around us that is happening that would give indication that maybe it's coming sooner than we think? What are the signs? What will be the sign of the end of the age? Jesus answered them, and he gave them essentially all of the events that are going to take place. That was in Matthew 24. It's a prophetic statement that Jesus makes, meaning it is uh, prophetic in nature that these things are the events that will happen. 
Then he gives a series of parables. He gives five parables. And those parables teach us how to make sure our hearts are ready for his return. And then he wraps the whole thing up, the final bow on the package, with one final prophetic statement. And that's what we'll look at today, the final prophetic statement. The final thing is not a parable. It is a prophetic thing about what will actually take place. So let's look at the events that Jesus just said one more time for our own uh, memory, for our own understanding. The first thing that Jesus said in this prophecy that he gave was this. He said, uh, as he was sitting there, be careful that no one leads you astray. The word for astray is the word deceive. Be careful that nobody deceives you. Many are going to come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and, I, and they will lead many astray, or they will deceive many. So the first sign that you're going to see is that deception will be on the rise. Deception will rise. The deception will come in two forms. There will be a, an attack on truth. The attack on truth will be one of two kinds. There will be what I would refer to as capital T truth. Capital T truth is the truth of God's word. This will come under attack. You will have people, pastors, church leaders, authors, whomever it may be, who will take the word of God and start attacking the word of God by saying not all of it applies. You can disregard the things that you want to disregard. They will begin to say things like, you can't take it all seriously. Or, we will slide in this one area. They will begin to attack truth. And you will see pastors, and you're, in fact, you're already seeing this. Numbers of pastors, authors, teachers, scholars across the country, across not just our country, but across the world, who are walking away from truth. They're still preaching in a church. Some of them are mega church pastors, and they're preaching before thousands and thousands of people. They're influencing thousands and thousands of people, but what they're teaching is not the word of God. They're teaching their own interpretation, and they are eliminating big chunks of scripture. So there will be an attack upon capital T truth. But in this deception rising, there will also be an attack upon lowercase t truth. What do I mean by lowercase uh, t? That is just truth in general. Things that you've always known that are just true will now come under attack. Let me give you some examples of this. Right now, if you make some kinds of statements, you will be canceled, You'll be removed from social media. You'll be removed from, uh, from platforms that you've been on. Uh, you are seeing this to authors, scholars. You're seeing this to uh, certain uh, political uh, members. They're being removed because they are saying something that is contrary to the narrative that is being presented by our mainstream media and by the social media heads. For example, if you say... Well, I believe that the Bible says there's only two genders. God created them male and female. You will be canceled. You'll be erased. Because how dare you say what the Bible says? How dare you say that? 
That goes against the narrative that we want to present. And so if you present something contrary to what is being presented, and you just know, well, it's truth. That's, it's true. It's the way that we are made. But if you present that, that is deception in their opinion, and they want you to believe a lie rather than the truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, In the end, they will turn away from hearing truth and wander off to myths. If you make the statement that men cannot give birth to children, that men cannot get pregnant, you will be labeled a racist, bigot, homophobe, Islamophobe, whatever you want to label it, you will be labeled because you are stating truth, but the world cannot hear truth anymore. The world has believed deception. Deception is under, on the rise. That's the way the world is going to, so there will be an attack upon capital T truth, the truth of God's word, and there will be just an attack upon lowercase t truth, just the truth that we've always known. If you make a statement such as, well, I, I, I genuinely believe, yes, I believe that a, a black lives matter, but I also believe all lives matter. In fact, all lives are made in the image of God. We are created in his image. It doesn't matter what, what uh, nationality you're from. Everyone matters to God. We are his sons. We are his daughters. That is bigoted, and you will be erased because deception is on the rise. You can't have conversations anymore. You can't share different ideas or opinions anymore. If you do not bow down to the narrative, you will be canceled. And so there is deception rising, an attack upon capital T and lowercase t truth. No longer does truth matter. So I ask you this question. Is this kind of stuff happening? Do you see deception rising? Well, that's what Jesus said. The first thing you will see is that people will come up leading you astray. It will not only happen in the world, it will happen in the church. Then you will also hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed. This must happen, but it's not the end. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom will rise against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Luke chapter 21, of that account, Luke adds in that Jesus said epidemics as well. So we have earthquakes, famines, and epidemics. But all of these things are just the beginning of the birth pains. So what are those? Those are social, global, ecological pressures. Are we seeing any evidence of those things? Well, Right now, we have more civil unrest than we have ever had in our lifetime. We have not experienced anything like what we are experiencing now. Jesus said, nation will rise against nation. The Greek word that I have covered before is the word ethne or ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnic. There will be ethnic tensions, racial tension. Are we seeing racial tension? Are you seeing looting and violence and riots to a level we have never seen or experienced in our lifetime? Things that are said, again, people being labeled as, you know, white privileged anti-race uh, anti, uh, uh, or racist in some kind of way, creating and pushing division and tension and anger. It's at a boiling point that we have not seen. Are we seeing wars and rumors of wars? Well, did you know that right now that 
Russia is on the verge of attacking Ukraine? They have, in fact, massed 100,000 troops along the Ukrainian border. They have moved missiles into position that can carry nuclear warheads, and they have warned the United States to stay out of it, do not get involved. In fact, Russia now is at such odds with the United States because of the sanctions that are happening. And all of these odds that are there is pushing that region to war. China is right now wanting to attack Taiwan, and they are, uh, they are rattling their sabers every chance that they get. In fact, this past week, they flew 25 military aircraft into Taiwanese airspace. They're continuing to push more and more and do more and more war games to push for that, for that battle. And that is something that you're beginning to hear. Iran wants to destroy Israel, no question about it. They have threatened, they have threatened, and they have threatened to the point that it is close to war that could potentially happen between Israel and Iran. Again, what does Jesus say? There are going to be wars, and there's going to be rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed. This must happen. He said that um, there will be earthquakes, and there will be famines, and there will be epidemics, this idea of COVID is not isolated to what we've experienced now. It is mutating into various strands, so much so that they say this is no longer a pandemic. It is now called an epidemic because it will be with us forever. Jesus said there will be epidemics. These epidemics could mutate into more and more. Again, ask yourself the question, are these things happening? Right now, earthquakes are on the rise. In fact, there are more active volcanoes today than there have been than we have recorded in our lifetimes. Right now, there's 28 active volcanoes that are currently in the process of erupting. You've heard about the ones in Iceland and in St. Vincent. Right now, they're really monitoring closely the big island of Hawaii, the world's largest, the largest volcano, active volcano, just last week, they were rattled by 34 earthquakes, and that is a precursor to potential volcano activity there. We're seeing it more and more around the entire, what's called the ring of fire in our world. More things, more famines, the rise of global food prices are gonna create even more famines. The epidemic has created more famines. The droughts that we're experiencing are gonna create more famines. So Jesus said there will be global, social, and ecological pressure. Again, I would ask you, are, 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 is this happening? Are you seeing this happen? Jesus then says there's gonna be persecutions and they're gonna hate Christians. We're seeing this around the globe. We haven't experienced it to a huge extent here, but you can see the handwriting on the wall that it is coming. Because if you say anything contrary to what you're told to say, they will come after you. They will cancel you. Now, in other countries, in the Middle East, in India, in Africa, people are losing their lives because of their faith. We haven't gotten to that point, but it is happening around the world. There will be more persecution. There will be more hatred. At the same time, there will be a sense of lawlessness and a sense of lovelessness, meaning people's hearts are just growing colder and colder. I believe that to be the case. There was a day when we would uh, go somewhere, Jennifer and I might travel somewhere, and people would ask, well, what do you do? And I would proudly say, well, I'm a pastor. 
And usually that was met with, you know, uh, a, a little bit of a sense of, hey, we respect what you do. Now, if you say that, it's almost like duck and cover because you don't know exactly how people are going to respond because there's more and more hatred. You see this happening. Just watch this next week with some of the riots that I think will take place this next week at the lovelessness and the lawlessness that is beginning to happen. So these are the warnings Jesus gives. Pay attention, he says. Look at these warnings, because then you will, after you see this rise of a Middle Eastern beastly empire, which the United States announcing that we are going to remove all of our troops from Afghanistan is going to leave a vacuum that will naturally be filled by ISIS that will then potentially lead to the rise of a beastly empire... We're going to see what he calls the greatest point, the start of the great tribulation, which is called the abomination of desolation, where they attack Israel. Israel is the time piece. It is the clock. So watch Israel and watch the events that are happening there. Jesus said then, after you see those things, after Israel is attacked, after, after it is a bloody battle, after people are fleeing for their lives in Israel... And they are just scrambling to get out of there, not going back to take any of their stuff. They are just going to get out of that place. After that happens, Jesus then says, I will return. He says this. Uh, he says, immediately after the trouble of those days, the sun, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, what do you think he means by that? Now, my, my thought, my first thought is, you know, you start thinking it's some supernatural event, but it could be even more uh, simple than a supernatural event. It could be some kind of nuclear battle that is going on. Have a nuclear battle, and what's going to happen? Well, the heavens are going to be shaken. Have a nuclear battle, and the light is not going to shine. You're not going to see the stars. It's going to be chaos. That is what you could see happen. Jesus says when that happens, then, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear. Then you're going to see God show up. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And all the tribes of the land will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a great shofar, the great blast of a trumpet, and they will gather together his chosen from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. So what should we be looking for? Number one, we ask ourselves the question, look, is this happening? Are we seeing these events? If you're not seeing the, the events, then don't worry about it. But if you're starting to see the events that Jesus talked about, then here's what I want you to watch for. Greater velocity, greater intensity, and greater frequency. Think about a woman going into labor. Uh, ladies, if you've given birth, you know what this is like. I don't have to tell you what it's like um, from my, you know, my own perspective. Uh, it will happen, though, with greater intensity. When, when a woman goes into labor and the contractions get stronger and stronger, what happens? Well, they are longer, they are more powerful, and they are closer together. When you see the events that Jesus talked about happening more frequently, when they're closer together, when you start seeing them long, uh, lasting longer, and when you see it happening with greater intensity, you can know that we are there. 
that we are in the times that Jesus himself described. So Jesus said, watch for these things. When you see these things, know that I am near, that I'm at the door, that it's about to happen. So Jesus gave us all of these events that are going to happen that led us to the question, well, what should we be doing in anticipation of the Lord's coming? And that's where he gave us a series of parables. In the parables, he said this, just make sure your heart is discerning, meaning you see the signs, be alert, be faithful, be ready, and be knowing. Understand it. So he's all about our hearts. It's not about getting all of our details correct. It's not about making sure we can line up everything just correctly. It's about making sure your heart is right. When you see these events, get ready. Get your heart right. Make sure your loved ones, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your, the people you come into contact with, make sure that their hearts are ready to meet the Lord. And then he ends with one final thought. And that final thought is this. Again, it's the king at the end of all things. Now, the final thought that Jesus gives is not parable. It is straightforward prophecy that he gives. And here's what Jesus says. He says this. Starting in 25, verse 31. Now, when the Son of Man comes... In his glory. Now notice those words. When the Son of Man comes. What was the initial question they asked Jesus? When are you coming? What are the signs? What should we be looking for? What's the sign of the end of the age? Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes. You ask me when I'm going to come? Here it is. When I'm finally here. When I'm finally on the scene. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Jesus will sit on the throne. What is the throne a representation of? It's the representation of power, authority, and judgment. Jesus will come and he will sit as a king on the throne. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another. Just as the shepherd, just like a shepherd, would separate sheep from the goats, that's the same thing that Jesus is going to do. He's going to take the sheep and he's going to put it on his right. I guess that would for you over here. He's going to put it on the right. Then he's going to take the goats and he's going to put the goats on the left. Then the king will say, then the king will say to those on his right. Now, again, notice the word. Then the king. Who is the king? He just referred to it earlier, the Son of Man. When the Son of Man comes, he will sit on his throne. The Son of Man is the King. He is King Jesus at this point. All authority, all power, sitting on the throne in judgment for the nations. He will separate them out. He will put, again, the sheep on the right, the goats on the left. And the King will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared from you for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous people are going to answer Jesus, the king, and say to him, Lord, King Jesus, 
When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And answering, the king will say to them, Amen, I tell you, whatever you did to one of the least of these, these my brethren, you did it to me. Then the king is going to turn to those on the left. And he's going to say to those on the left, Go away from me, you cursed ones, into the everlasting fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in naked, and you did not clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they're going to answer as well, the same thing that the others did. Then they too will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and did not care for you? Then he will answer them, saying, Amen, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. These shall go off to everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. That's the last words that Jesus spoke on the end times. Matthew 24 and 25 was his statement, his, his final statement on what the end times events are going to be. As Jesus returns, after we see all of the signs that he has laid out, when he finally returns, he will sit on his throne. He will take his place as the king of all things, the king at the end of all things. And he will do three things as the king. Three things according to what he just said. First of all, when he sits on his throne, the king will separate. He will separate. He will separate the good from the wicked. He will separate the righteous and the unrighteous. There will be a great separation that takes place. Now, this is not Jesus' words directly, uh, uh, like he's just coming up with this on his own. He is actually quoting the book of Joel. In the Old Testament, the book of Joel, Joel chapter 4, Jesus is saying the exact same thing that it says there. In Joel chapter 4, what happens is there are a bunch of nations that come against Israel in the last day. They destroy Israel until the king, the Messiah, returns. He, he takes revenge on those who have come against Israel, and he gathers everybody before him in a place called the Valley of Decision, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. In the Valley of Decision, the people, there will be multitudes and multitudes that he will begin to separate the wicked and the righteous. Do you know that this idea of separation is one that happens a lot in Scripture? Jesus just said in Matthew 25 these words, the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells five parables. Two of the parables have this theme of separation. One of the parables is that Jesus tells a story of a field. In the field, there is wheat that is planted. And as the wheat is planted, the enemy comes in and the enemy sows a bunch of tares in the field. Tares are just the weeds that are going to grow up. Instead of going into the field and trying to pull out all of the tares that were planted, Jesus just says, everyone's going to be harvested. 
When we come to the harvest, we're going to then separate them out, the wheat from the tares, the good from the bad, the righteous from the wicked. It will be a great separation that happens. Jesus then tells a parable about a fish net. He, it's this amazing dragnet. The dragnet is dragged through the lake. He gathers up a bunch of fish in this net. Some of the fish are really good and some fish are really bad. Some fish are wonderful, some fish you don't want anything to do with. As he gathers up the net, he will then take that net and he will separate out the good from the bad. He will separate out the wicked from the righteous, the good fish from the bad fish. It's the great separation that will happen. Jesus concludes all of that with this final thought. He says this, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and they will separate the wicked from among the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. The book of Malachi in the Old Testament, the same kind of thought is said this way. In Malachi 3, 17 through 20, God says, so I will spare them as one spares his son serving him. Then you will return and you will, look at the word, you will distinguish. That is the word, the idea again of separation. You will separate out. You will separate, you will distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace when all the proud and every evildoer will become stubble. The day is coming. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. So God will, at the end, separate out the good from the bad, the righteous from the unrighteous, the wicked from those who love and serve him. What side of that story would you be on? If you had to stand before God today, would you be counted among the sheep or among the goats? Would you be counted among the wheat or among the tares? Would you be a fish that would be a keeper or a fish that you want to get rid of? How would you stand before God if you were to stand before him this day? There will be a great separation. I heard a story that a person was telling me about what they believe about eternity. And this person was telling me the story that they believe when you die, everybody will go to heaven. It's just that there will be walls separating the city so you won't know who is on the other side of the wall or not. In fact, he was saying it this way, that a guy died, he went to heaven, he noticed this big wall that was there in the middle of the city. He went up to the angel and said, well, what's this wall for? And the angel said, well, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but let me tell you, on the other side of the wall, those are the Muslims. And there's another wall on their side, and the other side of that wall is the Jehovah's Witnesses, and then the other side is the Mormons, the other side is the Buddhists, the other side is the Hindu, the other side is the Sikhs, and on and on he went. Well, why do you have the wall there? Well, the angel said, so that you can't see who's on the other side, so they can't see that you're on, on, on over here as well, because everybody thinks theirs is the only way. But in fact, everybody makes it. That was the point. And that goes contrary to what scripture says. Jesus says there's only one way, one plan, one man. That's it. There is one way, one plan, one man, one name by which we can be saved under heaven. Jesus affirms this when he says, look, when I come, I will separate everybody. 
I will separate you out. How is he going to separate us? Well, that's the next question. How will you separate us? And the second thing that he does on the throne is the king judges. What is he going to judge? He's going to judge your heart. How is he going to judge your heart? He judges your heart by how you live and act and work, what your attitude is, what you do. He's going to judge the attitude of your heart by the evidence that he sees. See, we are saved by having a heart that is made clean. There is no other way to be saved. Jesus comes into your heart. He comes into your life. He makes you clean. He makes you alive. He brings your dead heart to life. That is salvation. It's the only means of salvation. That's what it means to be born again. Our hearts, our spirits go from death to life. But how do you know if somebody really has a heart that is right? Well, you can tell it by the fruit in their life. They're like a big tree. And the tree will produce fruit. And you can see what a person's heart is by the fruit that they're bearing in their life. You may say, well, I'm a Christian, but you have absolutely no evidence. No fruit in your life. No joy, peace, no love, no gentleness, no faithfulness, no patience, no self-control. None of that is there. But you say, I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know? You can know by the heart. Jesus himself is the one who says this. This is not me making this up. It's what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He said this, you will recognize them by their fruit. Grapes aren't gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree produces good fruit, but the rotten tree, it produces rotten fruit, bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will recognize them by their fruit. You are saved by grace. You are saved through faith in Christ. You are saved through him changing your heart. But there will be then naturally evidence that that has happened because your life will be changed forever. And you will begin to produce fruit in the matching with and the keeping with the change that has happened in your heart. Now, Jesus makes it even more clear in Matthew 25, because look what he says. Then the king, then King Jesus, will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And answering, the king will say to them, Amen, I tell you, whatever you did to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. I want you to notice this word. He says, what you did to my brethren. Now, this statement that Jesus made is always the one that is used for starting a prison ministry and, and starting a food bank and serving in the soup kitchen. And those are all wonderful things. We need to be doing those, but that's not the context that Jesus was saying this in. Jesus was saying it in a different context 
Because what has he been talking about? He's been, he's been talking about the end. What is the culmination of the end times events? It is Israel coming under attack. Jesus says, the way you treat my brethren is of utmost importance. Now, what is that gonna mean? It's going to mean the way you treat Israel as Israel is under immense persecution and attack. How you treat them. Are they going to be naked and in jail and, and, and need something to eat and drink? Well, look at what Jesus just said in Matthew 24. When the abomination of desolation comes, they are going to be homeless. They're going to be running for their lives. They are going to be under intense persecution. I go back to World War II when it comes to this. In World War II, I want you to imagine you're living in Germany, you're living in Poland, and there you are, and you start seeing your neighbors who are Jewish neighbors starting to get rounded up. What do you do? You're a Christian, you believe in Christ, and you start, you're starting to see your Jewish neighbors get rounded up. Well, there were three groups, really, when it came to what was going on in the time of persecution that they were going through during World War II. One group was participating in the persecution. They hated them, they wanted them annihilated, and they stood with the people who were trying to ex exterminate them. Then there was a second group. The second group was those who were adamantly opposed, and they did everything in their power to try to make sure that people were saved and protected. And there are stories of heroes that did that, and many of them gave their own lives when they stood up for the Jews that were being persecuted. And then there was the third group, and the third group was the largest group. It was called what I would term the, mush, the mushy middle. They're the ones that just said, you know, we love God, but we don't want to get involved. And so when the cattle cars of prisoners would go by, they would just sing their songs louder. And when they would see their neighbors arrested, they would just turn and look the other way. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get engaged. I don't want to come under persecution myself, so I'll just keep quiet and hope that all of this just avoids me. Jesus says, look, how you treated my brethren. My, who, who's his brethren? It's, it is the nation of Israel. That's his brethren. It's the same language that Paul uses in Romans 9, 10, and 11 when he calls Israel his kinsmen or his brethren by the, in, in the flesh. Jesus says, look, how you stand up. It will be the time for the church to shine the most when all of this persecution takes place. And so how do you want to be counted? Do you want to be counted as those standing with the enemy? God promises there, I will cut you in half. Do you want to be part of those who say, I will stand up and make a difference? I may not be as involved here as I would be if I was there, but I can still, I can still hear, I can pray for them, I can send finances to them, I can house any that, that I could possibly house, or I can make sure to not vote for anybody that doesn't support Israel. That's one thing to absolutely do. Or do you want to be part of the mushy middle? How will God treat the mushy middle? I, I don't know. It, it doesn't say. I guess we'll deal with that when that time comes. Jesus will judge based upon the intentions of the heart. He will judge based upon the faith that I have in Christ. And he will judge based upon the evidence of living that out in real life. 
Third thing that he, he does as the king who sits on the throne, according to what he just said, one, he separates, number two, he judges, but number three, he also rewards. And I want you to notice these verses, and I'm going to end with these verses because these are powerful. Jesus said this, then they too will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not care for you? Then the king, the one sitting on the judgment seat, will answer saying to them, amen, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. These shall go off to, look at the word, everlasting punishment. Jesus ends this entire two-chapter section by saying, I will separate people out, I will judge people, and I will send one half of them or one group of them into everlasting punishment. I thought, well, is there any loopholes? What is the word everlasting? Can, 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 can people find a loophole out of this? The word everlasting in the Greek language is the word that means forever, perpetual, never to cease. Everlasting, eternal, perpetual punishment. That doesn't sound like something that any of us want to experience. Jesus clarifies that about three verses ahead of this when he says this, then he will also say to those on his left, go away from me, you cursed ones, into the everlasting, there's the word again, everlasting fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. That is the lake of fire. Do you know the lake of fire was not created for mankind? It was created for Satan and the angels that fell with him, that joined on his side. But Jesus says all of the ones that will be separated out into the left... The ones who stood against me, the unrighteous, they will also be thrown into this everlasting fire. Eternal, perpetual, never to cease. If that doesn't curl your toes, I don't know what will. And then he says, though, that that's not all of the story, because then he says this, but the righteous into everlasting life, the righteous. How are you made righteous? Not by your own step power, not by your own strength, not by your own ability, not by your own performance. You're made righteous through the accepting of Jesus. You're made righteous by him taking your sins and you taking upon you his righteousness, this great substitution that took place, that he died in our place to make us righteous. And he promises they will have everlasting life. Again, use the word everlasting, forever, perpetual, never to cease. At some point, I'm gonna talk about what the Bible says about what heaven will be, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, what that's gonna be like, because it's, it's incredible, everlasting life. He clarifies it again a few verses ahead of this when he says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That concludes Matthew 24 and 25. What's the whole story about? 
They ask him, when are you going to come? When are you going to be back? What should we be looking for? Here are the signs. Here are the things you're going to see. Here are the events that are going to take place. Watch for them. Be ready. Discern the signs. Discern the times. When you see those things happening, you can know Jesus is real because he is the one that prophesied it all. How can he know these things? Well, because he's God. I can believe him. I can trust him. I can follow him. When you see these signs, make sure your heart is ready, alert, faithful. You are prepared. You have followed me. You're accepting me. You're walking with me. Make sure that's happening. Because when I come, he says, I will sit on my throne in judgment. And I will separate them out. One on the left, one on the right. One's on the left, eternal punishment. Forever. Perpetual, never to cease. The ones on the right, eternal life. Forever perpetual, never to cease. I'm going to close with this. Dr. Maurice Rawlings, and I don't know if you would know that name at all, but he wrote a book. He, the book is called Beyond Death's Door. It's a scary statement that he made. Dr. Maurice Rawlings, is a, he's an uh, emergency room physician. He deals a lot with heart issues uh, in a major metropolitan hospital. And he was an unbeliever, had no faith whatsoever, didn't believe any of, uh, of the stuff that the Bible says, had no relationship with God, until he started to see some events happening in the ER. He writes this in his book. He says, I'm thoroughly convinced that there is life after death. And I'm convinced that there are at least as many going to hell as to heaven. He says, the turning point in my life, in my own belief, in my own concepts, occurred when a patient in my office experienced a cardiac arrest. And he dropped dead right in my office in front of me. Of course, just him dropping dead didn't convince me of anything. It didn't do anything until I was able to resuscitate him. In fact, I was able to resuscitate him and revive him three times, but ultimately he would die. What really changed me, he says, is what happened all three of the times that I resuscitated him. Every time I did, he came back and he was screaming. And he said, I'm in hell Keep me out of hell. Each time that he responded to the resuscitation, the same screams, he said that each one of these caused me great concern. No kidding, I would feel that too. About 50% of the people, he says, that have been revived and have lived have told me of going to a great place filled with darkness filled with grotesque moaning and writhing bodies crying out to be rescued, an overwhelming and eerie feeling of nightmarish terror. Those events were enough to change his life forever. I would think they would be enough to change any of our lives forever if we experience that. He goes on to say, we cannot afford to ignore the reality of eternal life. Jesus says, some will go into everlasting punishment, some will go into everlasting life. Who will go into everlasting life? The ones that are righteous. How are you made righteous? By trusting Jesus. You can't make yourself righteous. You don't have the power to do that. You can't perform well enough. You can't do enough good deeds. You can't jump through enough hoops. You can't have enough good outweigh the bad. 
to make yourself righteous. No one is righteous. Isaiah says that our righteous deeds are like filthy rags to God. I talked about that last week. None of us are righteous. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. The only hope that we have is that Jesus descended for us to give us his righteousness by all who believe in him, trust in him, have put their faith in him, have his righteousness. And you can have assurance today that I am gonna be with him for all eternity, that I will experience everlasting life, that I can look forward to his return. If you have not trusted in Jesus, there is reason for concern and reason to be scared. So I would encourage you, not for my sake, I get nothing out of it, it's up to you. It's between you and the Lord. It's your decision to make. But I would encourage you to make the decision between you and the Lord, God, I need you. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. I believe in you. I wanna follow you. I give my heart to you. And I wanna follow you and your righteousness. You know what I'm really concerned for is not just people that I know that are that are lost, that are going to hell. But all of us have family. We have friends. Some of us have kids. Some of us have, have parents. Some of us have, uh, have uh, siblings. And we just know that they're not right with God. Some of us have uh, coworkers. I'm working on my coworkers all the time trying to get them right with God. <laughs> we all have coworkers. We have acquaintances that we meet. We have friends from, from high school. We have friends from college. We have people that we come across. Those are the people that concern me. Not because I get anything out of it, because I want to make sure they don't suffer. God is not going to judge me in heaven and hell if I've led people to Christ or not. He wants me to be working for him. He wants me to be doing things for him. But it's ultimately up to us, each one of us, making sure we have made that personal decision. Christ, I want you in my heart. I want to follow you. I confess to you. I repent of my sins and I trust in your gracious forgiveness. So I would encourage you, if you've not made that decision, make that decision today. And then begin to pray for and speak to family, friends, coworkers, acquaintances, sharing within the love of Christ. So hopefully, some, instead of having everlasting punishment, will have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, you are gracious, you are kind, you are loving, you are the most loving one, the most kind one, the most generous and gracious one that we could ever possibly know. You came because you love us. You have patience upon us because you want none to perish, but all to find everlasting life in you. You have been slow to carry out all of these end times events because you're waiting for people to turn and come to you. Lord, if there are some in this room that have not made the decision that, Jesus, we want you to be the center of our hearts, we confess our sins before you, that this would be that day where they would simply say, Jesus, I believe in you. Please forgive me and help me to walk with you. Lord, we have friends and family and loved ones that we, we are concerned about. 
Lord, help us to be people who are planting seeds in their lives. Help us to be people who are passionate to reach out to others because we don't want to see people suffer eternally, everlasting punishment. In the lake of fire, designed for the devil and his angels, we don't want to see that happen. We want people to turn to you, to experience the joy, the life that you can give. Father, help us to be about your business. As we leave this place today, help us to realize that we are going out into the mission field. That Gillette, Wyoming is our mission place. That we are going out to proclaim your truth by the way that we talk and the way that we live our lives. Help us to lead others. I pray, Lord, for an explosion in our churches across this community. Not because we are just concerned about numbers, but we want to see people come to faith in you. So, Lord, do a work across our community. Touch hearts and touch lives. Help us, Lord, to be about your business. Father, thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you for the word that you've given us in Matthew 24 and 25 that we can understand the end times just a little bit better. Help us to look for the signs around us and make sure that our hearts are ready to receive you. We thank you for meeting with us today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day and may God bless you.